To him who is and who was and who is to come be power and glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is our second reading, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll hear again these words. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll never forget the sight. It was during my vicar year in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. My wife Jennifer and I at the time were just engaged and she had come down, she'd flown down for a brief visit and her flight was scheduled to leave on the morning of July 4th. And a number of our friends said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Pay the extra 50 bucks, get your flight schedule changed, and stay for the fireworks in the nation's capital. We listened to them, we followed that advice, and we got to see those fireworks. We rode the metro train down to the National Mall. We didn't have to stand along the mall with a million people. We knew a congressman's employees, and so we were able to watch from the balcony of a congressional office building. This was pre-9-11, so security wasn't nearly as tight. And so we got to see the most amazing fireworks I've ever seen. The rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, all with the backdrop of the National Mall and the Washington Monument brightly lit up. It was an amazing sight. Again, the most amazing fireworks I've ever seen. I'll never forget that sight. In the portion of God's Word before us this morning, we find another amazing sight. One day in the future, we don't know when, but sometime in the future, all of us are going to see the most amazing sight that anyone can ever see. Our Lord Jesus Christ coming again in all his power and glory to judge the living and the dead. And nobody's going to miss this. Scripture tells us that every eye will see him. And what a sight that is going to be. For unbelievers, a truly horrible and terrifying sight. But for us who by the grace of God know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it will be a sight beautiful beyond description. Our text this morning comes to us from the second of Paul's two letters to the Christians in the ancient city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a very important city, probably the most important city in Macedonia. had a population of some estimate around 200,000 people. It was the capital city and it was a great center for trade and commerce. And all of these things made it an important place to go and do mission work. The Apostle Paul did this. He went to the synagogue, as was his usual custom. He preached the gospel of our Savior. And before you know it, a small Christian congregation had been formed. And then, abruptly, Paul had to leave. So now these baby Christians had to face the trial and the persecution that come from bearing the name of Christ by themselves without their founder and their leader. And so Paul wrote at least two letters to them to try and encourage them. And what he tells them in our text is truly encouraging, and it's very interesting. He says to them, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. 
Now, being a Christian in an unbelieving world is never an easy thing. Being a Christian in pagan ancient Rome could be downright hazardous. You could lose your job, your livelihood, your possessions, your family, even your life just for being a Christian. And no doubt the Thessalonians, who were beginning to feel this persecution, were tempted at times to repay evil for evil, to get back at those who were persecuting them, to get even. And the Apostle Paul tells them that's not necessary. You don't need to do that. God's going to take care of it. He's just. And so he's going to give those unbelieving persecutors exactly what they have coming to them. He even hints at when this will happen. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The awesome sight of our Lord's return is not going to be a pleasant one for those who reject him. Paul tells us that they will be punished with everlasting destruction, which is a really strange term when you stop and think about it. Usually something can only be destroyed once, right? I mean, if your house burns down, it burns, you've got a pile of ashes, the house is destroyed, and that's the end of it. But here Paul hints that unbelievers are going to live in a constant state of being destroyed. Not only that, but they will be eternally shut out from the presence of God. Without God's presence, they will enjoy none of his love, none of his blessings. The only thing that will be left for them is unimaginable torment. Torment that they will never get used to. Torment that will never, ever end. They will forever be tortured by the undying worm of decay, the pain of unquenchable fire, and the gnashed teeth of sorrow and regret. That's not a pretty picture, is it? And it's not something that we really like to think about very much. It's horrible. And yet, my friends, we need to think about it because what I've just described is what every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth deserves. That's what our sins have earned for us. We know it so well that sometimes we don't even think about it, but the wages of sin is death. And that's certainly not just talking about the kind of death that keeps the undertaker in business. It's talking about the eternal death and destruction of hell. And contrary to popular opinion, we Christians are not better than everybody else in the world. We are just as broken, just as sinful as everybody else out there. Our sinful pride and arrogance and rebellion have earned for us, too, this horrible punishment, this one-way ticket to hell, and we cannot change destinations. There's nothing that we can do about this. What a horrible thing it would be, my friends, to look up on the last day and to see Jesus coming again and to realize that he's coming to send you to hell for all eternity. What a horrible thought. But it's one we don't have to worry about. We are not going to view our Savior in that way on the last day. When we see Jesus coming, it's not going to be terror that fills our hearts but an indescribable and a perfect joy because Jesus is not coming to send us away from him forever into hell. He's coming to take us to be with him, to make a home with us, as we just sang moments ago, and to live with him forever and ever. Yes, the wages of sin is death. 
But glory be, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how is it that sinners, broken people like you and me, are going to escape the blazing fire of God's judgment on the last day? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a group of pioneers in the early part of our nation's history who were making their way across the Great Plains to settle some land in the West that had been opened up for homesteading. And it was the typical scene like you would imagine. They were traveling in covered wagons pulled by oxen, a big group of them so that they would have safety. And because there were no roads, the going was slow, but they were making steady progress. And then on one day they looked and they were horrified to see on the horizon stretched ahead of them as far as they could see a line of smoke. And it was coming toward them. The dry prairie grasses were on fire and burning right toward them. The day before, they had crossed a river, but there was no way they could get back to that river in safety. So what were they to do? Well, the leader of their group gave the order that they were to light fires behind them. They did so. And once those fires had burned up a large enough space, uh, they moved their wagons, their families, their possessions, their animals, everything onto that newly burned out space. And as the fire bore down upon them, one little girl cried out, Will it work? Or are we all going to be burned up? And the leader said to her, My child, the flames can't reach us here. We are standing where the flames have already burned. So I'll ask that question again. How are we going to escape the fire of God's justice on the last day? Well, dear children, the fires of God's justice can't reach us because we are standing where they have already burned. By faith, we are standing in Christ. He already faced God's righteous anger and justice for sin in our place. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah tells us. You see, God took every one of our sins, all of that guilt, and he placed it on his one and only Son. And Jesus paid for every last sin. His flesh was torn open by the Roman scourge. And his face was bloodied by the fists of his Jewish enemies. His ears were filled with cries of insult and mockery. And of course, his hands and his feet were pierced by iron nails. But my friends, those pains, as awful as they were, were nothing compared to his greatest pain. The fire of God's justice. Jesus suffered hell itself in our place. The loneliest cry that was ever uttered. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the Father turned his back on the Son. He left him utterly alone on that cross to suffer for the world's sins. The fires of God's justice burn themselves out on Christ. And so they don't have to burn on us. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, if Jesus did that for the entire world, then why doesn't everybody just go to heaven? Why is it that we hear in our text about some who go to hell? That question has troubled human hearts for a very long time. And the simple answer from Scripture is given by St. Mark when he records Jesus' own words. Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Sadly, there are some who reject God's free gift of forgiveness and life in his Son. 
and in so doing they condemn themselves to an eternity of torment. Note carefully what Paul says in our text. On the last day, God is not going to punish every single sinner. Instead, he's going to punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how did we get to be where we are and who we are? How did we come to know God? How is it that we are those who obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who trust in Jesus alone for salvation? How is it that we are standing by faith again where the fire has already burned? Well, it's not because we're smarter than everybody else. And it's not because we're more spiritual than everybody else. And it's certainly not because we're more obedient than everybody else. We're just as sinful as the rest of the world. My friends, it's grace. It's only by the grace of God that we stand where we do. You see, the Spirit of God, in His grace, through word and sacrament, has worked in our hearts the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. He has enabled us to confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. You have this beating heart of faith only by the grace of God, only because of His undeserved love for you. In undeserved love, God gave you parents who brought you to the baptismal font where your sins were washed away, you were made a child of God, and then they taught you all about your Savior. In undeserved love, God has placed you into Christian congregations where faithful pastors and teachers taught you the Word of God, and your fellow Christians encouraged you in the one true faith. In undeserved love for you, God gives you the meal of his son's true body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of your sins and the strengthening of your faith. In undeserved love for you, God has given you free access to his word so that you can hear it, read it, learn it, and take it to heart and so remain in that saving faith. It is solely because of God's love for you and me that Judgment Day is not going to be a day of terror for us, but a day of the greatest joy. I mean, what a joy it is going to be to see our Lord Jesus coming again, not as the, the humble and helpless babe of Bethlehem, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a joy it's going to be to see the smile on his face and his arms open wide to welcome us. And what a joy it's going to be to hear him say to you and to me and to every believer, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In almost a half a century of life, these eyes have seen some pretty amazing sights. They were there. They witnessed the 1984 Detroit Tigers win the World Series. And they lit up when I saw my wife walking down the aisle. And they lit up again when each one of my children came into the world. And these eyes have even had the privilege of looking down on the holy city, the beautiful city of Jerusalem, four times. But as the old saying goes, they ain't seen nothing yet. One day they are going to see the Lord Jesus himself. They'll see him as he is. And for all of eternity, these eyes are going to gaze on our Savior and wonder at his majesty and his power and his love. Your eyes are going to see the very same thing. And my friends, what a sight it will be. Thanks be to God. Amen.